Hey guys, uh, my name is Surya and welcome to Everything Cyber. In today's episode, we'll be looking into the space of security in a software supply chain. Uh, this is usually a complex environment with where we're managing multiple packages and code, whether it be internal or external. And we thought this episode would be super useful to all folk in cyber, and also if you're a developer in general. So whether you're an AppSec engineer, an architect, or even a dev, uh, today's episode is for sure gonna have some valuable information for you. In this episode, we initially spoke about the state of a security sup uh, supply chain, and then later we moved more into like how supply chain is being managed, what are the lack of incentives that are there, and even in the end, look at some of the visibility issues in supply chain. To finish off the episode, we went over some of the predictions that we had uh, for the future of a supply chain. If you, if you found this episode helpful, then we kindly request you to share this with your friends. Uh, please feel free to leave a comment. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you. Uh, we would really appreciate a subscriber or a follower in whatever platform you're listening. And let's head right into the episode. So, hey, Kev. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Surya. How's it going? And hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Everything Cyber. Hi, guys. This is episode number... Six. Yes. Um, and in today's episode, we are talking about what is making our software supply chain so vulnerable? So we're going to look at from a security aspect and talk about things like what are the main reasons behind we are seeing so many attacks in the recent past, right? So all the way from our SolarWinds, Lock4J, all the big name attacks to even the smaller scale attacks we have. Why are they being so prevalent and why so suddenly? So yeah, so yeah, this is this is a very interesting topic to me because it's in every other industry, even if it's somewhat comp as complicated as the software industry we have, they have a pretty research that and information that goes into the supply chain. Whereas mm -hmm. up until very recently, the concept of securing the supply chain wasn't a very common term, right? If yeah. we look back something like 2020 or even like early 2021, there wasn't so much talk about securing the supply chain. But fast forward now, it's one of the main issues uh, a lot of people are dealing with, right? Yeah. So yeah, what is what changed and what is making our supply chain so vulnerable and why are we talking about now? Yeah, I think uh, you hit a, the, the point. Basically, I remember back in 2017, uh, listening to a DEF CON talk on software supply chain, like someone saying, hey, you know, this is like an attack vector that's being used. People knew about it. It's been there for a while, uh, but it's been brought more into the spotlight recently. I think in general, um, in today's modern world and modern dev environments, we just use more packages than ever before. So yeah, <laughs> yeah like with like, before we had like Java with like certain dependencies with like Spring or certain frameworks if you use, but in today with like projects that using NPM and so on, it's just much easier to both ingest and deploy packages itself. Mm. Uh, and I would probably estimate that in the current environments for developers probably are using over 80% of the code from packages or other external sources, right? Whether it be internal yeah. or external. 
And uh, and you could say like 20% of the rest of the code is roughly written by the devs itself. And this then brings us to the next point, like who is writing this 80% of the code, right? Uh, who? <laughs> I think that's a big question mark on that, right? Um, you know, anyone and, and everyone. Anyone and everyone pretty much, right? Uh, open source, so it ends up being like usually open source projects and these open source projects usually do not have many strong security controls. You know, mm. uh, we have seen issues where people can ingest some malicious code into it, right? And the maintainers are like, "Oh, cool! It sorts the issue. Let me publish it." Right? There, like, not everyone in the open source community is like super into security. They're just mm -hmm. devs trying to, you know, showcase their skills within the project sometimes, or just try to maintain it, you know, uh, when it gets too big. Yeah, that's, that, that's, I would say, is like the current state of supply chain and, uh, and specific packages. You've definitely hit a very good point there because one of the common and very interesting kinds of attacks I've seen recently, which was, I wouldn't name the package, but it, it is a popular package where what basically happened with that NPM package is the NP, NPM package got compromised by the attacker when they offered the developers like a few hundred dollars uh, to transfer the ownership of the package, right? And when you're doing open source software, it is very rarely you're seeing any kind of monetary benefits. So it's very rare to have that financial kickback from your projects. And fair so, a lot of people do not even expect that. And which leads us to this issue of the incentives to maintain that, right? A lot yep. of people start an open source project because they're learning to code, they want to give back to the community, they want to upskill themselves. But what requires people to maintain for a long period of time it, without any any kind of kickback it's it's very hard to do so right um so that's where i see a lot of these open source systems are definitely being quite vulnerable to because what you mentioned of they not having proper security controls is definitely one thing but also the lack of incentives to put in that effort to make them secure is another um, that's one of the big pain points of open source um, yeah. security, I feel, as well. Another aspect of open source software is we think we have this notion that, oh, it's open source. That means a lot of eyes have gone over it. So that means people are security reviewing it, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. which is true to, true to some degree. But at the same time, I feel like when it comes to open source software, it's not security like we mentioned is not a high priority people are just wanting to make it work as soon as possible yeah and because of that and similarly people just don't care there's not a lot of people who are who thinks that okay in my free time today i'm just gonna go and review the security of this open source package right that very rarely happens so that fa that notion of oh, open source software automatically translates to more secure is falling apart. We yeah. we had this concept going around quite a bit, right? Open, It's open source, it's more secure, but mm -hmm. we, we quickly understand that that wasn't the case. And on the flip side, is it actually, it's actually much easier for the hacker to analyze the code, to see through the vulnerabilities and then exploit the package. Yep. So yeah, that's one of the another big issues. I think the security supply chain, our software supply chain is really suffering uh, from a security standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I would say also like, who is contributing to the code, right? Who? Uh, so whether it be a 
a group of organizations like uh, who are partnering to maintain this open source project like Chromium and so on, or whether it's a funded open source project that's being used, or sometimes just being run by some enthusiasts, right? So, and also sometimes us as community members just go yeah. and contribute code. And this allows uh, another attack vector where basically you could have a state-sponsored attack, uh, like space-sponsored mm. Uh, contributor contributor pay, yes that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah who basically will like you know ingest a malicious code and he's like yeah you know I, i'm just like scrolling through the code and i'm like okay cool that looks good to me <laughs> it fixes the bug so <laughs> let's go just click click commit and like just push it you know and then and then you know you see like there's like now vulnerability that's exploitable right and then boom that just gets pushed the package object just gets pushed to millions of users who are using that package then it goes into the dev environments and then gets published into the applications right yeah so yeah that gives the state sponsored attack so many so much power on how they can affect the landscape of yeah yeah it's changing dynamics right because if you think about it 10 years ago this notion of apts uh state-backed attackers going and contributing to to open source softwares that in return are being downloaded uh, by hundreds thousands if and sometimes even millions of different code repositories it's just something unique and so mind-boggling. Who would have thought that going forward five, ten years, we would have issues like this, right? Because yeah. if you look at the number of packages and um, if you look at the packages throughout the time for JavaScript or Python uh, five years ago or a couple of years ago versus now, we would definitely see a meteoric rise of in the number of packages available. Yep. When, we are, when we are trying to code, especially when I am trying to make something happen, right? Um, um, I'll put down my developer hat. I'll put down my security hat for a bit and put on my developer hat. When I'm scavenging through the internet, scavenging through Google, scavenging through Stack Overflow, and trying to figure out how to make this piece of code work, security is not necessarily the top of my mind. The first thing is um, I Google uh, something, I see a Stack Overflow response, and the first answer or one of the verified answer is, oh, you, there's a library for this, and you use library like this to achieve um, whatever you are trying to do. And I'm yeah. like, great. I copy-paste that code, import that library, and I'm good to go. Yeah. Right, So I don't have that habit of going and verifying that, okay, whether that library has issues or anything like that. Yeah. So it is it is not in our developer culture or developer nature, quote unquote, to think about security, especially from a package and third party, yeah. party yeah. dependency when we're actually building it. It's... That comes sort of in the aftermath uh, or after uh, it's an afterthought right yeah yeah it's like it's like we assume that the package is secure we're giving our trust to these third parties mm-hmm. um, and in many cases when i uh, don't copy others i used to do my assignments and sometimes i'm using some packages <laughs> right and yeah. they were not being even maintained for the last year yeah, right? yeah. So if it was vulnerable, it was vulnerable. It's not being updated and anyone could exploit it openly. I am guilty of yeah. that for uni projects as well. <laughs> yeah. Whatever uh, makes it work, man. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, and, you know, like that same mindset can flow over to a dev environment, whether it be a small company or even a large enterprise itself. Mm-hmm. Right. And all it takes, as I said before, is like a single 
weak link, right? Mm-hmm. That can break open your environment uh, in general. Uh, yeah. I think the other point that I had was on like industry-based frameworks, right? In general, when I went over multiple parts of the industry looking, scouring for like a framework, there's nothing that's like widely adopted because it's such a, I would not say it's a yeah. new phenomenon, yeah. But it's like something that's been brought to the spotlight recently, right? So industry frameworks are just starting to build up and industry collaboration is, I feel like, still behind. Like, do you have any points to add on that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I feel like even at our company, right? So we are trying to implement this something called SLSA, which Mm -hmm. pretty much um, it's an initiative by a lot of companies as well as the OpenSSF, um, which is pretty much safeguarding our software supply chain, right? And the software supply chain has different aspects to it. We have all the way from the source code, the building of the source code, the third-party dependency that feeds in, the packages that are then deployed to the customers, right? This whole pipeline has so many issues um, and so many attack threats. And if you think about it, this is a very wide and open-ended problem. So before we didn't have that many frameworks, like you you mentioned, it's still very premature and still the framework is being developed. And similarly, companies are still adopting it. I don't see a lot of um, non-large uh, enterprises um, actually going after and implementing this. So there are frameworks like that, like the SLSA or affectionately called Salsa. And Salsa has a few levels of those security supply chain um, assurance that you can do step by step, right? From level one to level four. But the thing is that adopting this level one to level four is also not easy. So it's it's sort of tying back to that thing we mentioned before that developers are not expected to i mean we we will try our best to code securely but that's not a given yeah. we that's not always expected so how do we ensure the aftermath how do we deal with the builds the deal deal with the package compilation and the package distribution right so it's still a very complicated problem and that's where these kind of new frameworks are coming but they're still much far away in terms of adoption uh similarly another thing i I think a lot of people should check out and it's it's all mainstream knowledge like companies like google they have their assured um, what was it? Assured open source software service or something yeah. like that, where they vet certain packages and certain versions of packages. And they, I, I think it's a paid service. Um, mm-hmm. Don't quote me on it. I'm, I haven't <laughs> checked into it. But you you look, you look into, um, they basically, basically do it on your behalf because, you know, like any, I'll just, I, I'll, I can just imagine how many open source projects Google themselves might rely on. So they do have the, um, incentive to do so so these kind of new frameworks and initiatives are popping up mm-hmm. um i highly recommend people to check up uh look up open ssf if they're not familiar with um they are doing some amazing initiatives and work across the industry and i'm really excited to see the type of work that's going to pop out of them in the next few years yeah yeah uh that's pretty interesting that also reminded me of something like recently i was looking at uh, the newspapers and stuff and hear, heard about the software bill of materials that the Australian government is looking to implement. Yes. Yeah, SBOM as a legislature, right? Um, and that's a very interesting topic in general, right? Uh, it's, you have to provide a list of assets that you're using 
and it also includes packages, right? Uh, and implementing that is going to be a big challenge for companies who do not have an asset list in general itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of like what packages they're using. So, so what are your thoughts in regards to that? Like, and how do we, how do you yeah. think companies yeah. can go about it? So, the purpose behind SBOM is to bring transparency across the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. So I have my ingress people um, I'm feeding from and then building my software and or my service and feeding it to someone, right? Yeah. So build tra- building transparency across this um, supply chain is the purpose of SBOM, and which, which is a great initiative, but I, I do think there are certain certain issues with it as well, like mm-hmm. things like um, what I think is a, a conflict of interest. SBOM is fine and dandy. It's going to help people. But at the same time, if, if you ask me, a proprietary company, mm-hmm. on, hey, how is your software built? That's also closely guarded knowledge, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the secret source no, no one wants to give out. So companies will think twice before they put out this kind of information uh, in the public. Um, it is going to be beneficial, um, but obviously I, I do think it's just my opinion that f- from a company's perspective, there is some conflict of interest. So we will we will see some fiction. Um, or what can... Some uh, useful context I should add is who is SBOM for? Right. So so far, SBOM is kind of more for if you want to work with the government. Mm-hmm. So it's like a list of uh, requirements government has. So yep. unless you're working directly with the government, you are not so much incentivized to publish publish that. Right. Yeah. But um, then, as we know, the U.S. Department of Defense or whatever the, U- the U.S. the U.S. government and the Australian government, all the major governments, they're big, big spenders on software, and everyone wants to be their customers. So yeah. we have a big list of vendors who are their customers. So yeah. it, it's a double-edged sword. Obviously, there is a lot of benefits of this, um, especially if we can properly um, accelerate the reporting process. Mm-hmm. That hey. Um, this is this is what I use, and if you use my software, this is pretty much you're signing up for, right? So yeah. it's like allergies. Like when you order food, you can see what ingredients are there, and if you have something like uh, some kind of allergens, like if you have nut allergy, you can say that oh, that's not if, uh, that's not acceptable from yeah. by my standards, yeah. and I'm just not gonna accept consume that. that. Yeah, yeah. Basically. And similarly, reporting of it. If if something, uh, some uh, I was talking to a friend in the more i think he's in the mechatronics slash electrical engineering industry and their supply chain standard i feel like is much much more mature than me and they he said something like oh let's say a particular transistor right that yeah. transistor is being used by a wide range of companies but let's say the manufacturer has found some fault in that transistor and what they issue is like a callback and everyone can just look up uh, their bill of materials not software bill of materials whatever their supply chain bill of materials is they go oh are we using the transistor yes then pick that out and replace with something else nice. so that kind of transparency is is really helpful and i feel like yeah. that the, bringing that into the software world it's going to be super helpful yeah. but yeah that that uh, has some uh challenges challenges to it about. yeah for yeah. sure for sure yeah i was thinking about like you know it 
the first point I had in regards to it is in regards to visibility and asset management itself, right? Mm. Like you're a firm and you have no idea what packages you're using. Okay. You're in this, you're in this state, right? And you know, uh, how, how do you... We're not talking about my firms. <laughs> We're talking about general firms, In general, in general, in general, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> example, for example, for example, yeah, for example, XYZ firm, right? Yeah, okay, uh, okay. We have a tool that's deployed, that an application that's deployed on SaaS, right? Uh, uh, like, we have a SaaS-based solution, sorry. And then our devs are using packages from anywhere, external sources, and we also develop some own internal packages that can be used within devs. And then you're like, huh, how, how do I get a list of assets, right? We saw like, so this company is basically like, oh, a log4j vulnerability came in. And they're like, oh, cool. I want to patch my systems, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I don't know what parts of my application actually use log4j, right? Mm. Uh, where do I start, right? So the first step is for sure gaining visibility. But then how do you do that in a good and efficient way, right? Uh, uh, Kev, you have any thoughts of that? I would actually tie it back to the salsa, right? Okay. Because I think that was the million dollar question because it is very hard to establish that visibility and the, and that oversight and governance across the software supply chain. Whereas frameworks like salsa are really the key in this case because mm -hmm. it gives you that step by step that um, that in you're not trying to do everything. Uh, in one go, you you just pretty much take it step by step, and that's what these kind of new frameworks are really helpful. And I feel like moving on forward, um, as companies are going to this, more, we are in this relatively mature CI/CD sort of domain, but I still see lots of companies that uh, still have very rudimentary software development and de deployment practices. And it is very hard to establish that kind of oversight and yeah. visibility in those kind of uh, environments, right? Yeah. So moving on forward is uh, as companies are moving on, uh, sorry, no pun intended, moving on forward as companies move from more rudimentary practices to more contemporary software development lifecycle and rituals, I think it will be much easier to implement those. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings me to the issue I have with the Salsa. upscaling, not, not specifically Salsa. Mm -hmm. I feel like Salsa itself is great, but more, more as to this concept of... Um, deployment and production right so developer productivity and by productivity um, i don't mean how many hours a day you're working but more like your dev environment right yeah. so how easy for you is it for you to operate in that environment how easy how easy is it for you to write build ship code right um, and also test so if you think about it, developer productivity and security not necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah. Because when we add more and more, more and more security hurdles, they somewhat decrease the developer productivity if they're not done well. So there is this aspect of achieving a proper oversight and a proper software supply, software supply chain mm -hmm. um, requires a reduction in the developer productivity temporarily oh. um, uh, for at least for the short span it's going to give you benefits in the long term but think of it right you you have your your way of 
doing something like we have our um, we use let's say uh, Final Cut Pro to create our videos. Yeah. If suddenly we switched from Final Cut Pro to Adobe products and new new rituals and new ways of doing things, obviously there will be some short-term friction. Yes. It will take yes. more time. And just apply that logic into that software development. So if you look at the salsa requirements, things like build as a code or ephemeral environment and isolated parameterless runtimes, these things are very nice to have and very secure, but at the same time, not so easy to achieve. And yeah. if you look at from a company's perspective, especially a software development company's perspective, where shipping code and releasing features is often a very high priority for folks, right? So you're reducing that and implementing security controls that are not necessarily going to give you immediate benefits. And it's not not necessarily tangible benefits, right? It's going to be, it's somewhat intangible of what security benefits those things bring. Like you cannot you cannot directly say that, oh, I've implemented um, ephemeral environment and that's that's reducing my security uh, risks by X amount. It's very hard to tangentially say that. And so a lot of companies see this and think that, hmm, I'm reducing the speed I'm pumping out my features. I already have so many customer requests and backlogs waiting for me. Why bother changing all this? This aspect is suddenly a challenge when it comes to making your whole build pipeline and your software supply chain more secure. So that's one of the issues I think is making the software supply chain more vulnerable mm -hmm. is that that migration to a more safer environment is costly, yep. not just from an actual monetary cost, but also like a developer productivity cost. Touching on the monetary cost very quickly, it is also it also can be monetary more costly because a lot of this oversight, like nine out of ten companies yep. are not gonna do them themselves, right? Mm -hmm. They're gonna buy a third party company like which does software composition analysis or just some kind of scan. And those kind of tools are not necessarily very cheap. Yeah. So there, there's this that aspect as well. Yeah. That that was a lot, but that that was very useful though. Actually, that was, that's had some very interesting points. Jumping back, like before, right? Um, I had another thought in regards to packages. So we were looking specifically at external packages before. Now let's look at an internal package, right? So it's not just those external packages can have threat actors acting mm. against it we could have a malicious threat actor an insider threat basically who wants to add a set of malicious lines or code uh, that basically will like give a certain type of vulnerability that can be mm. later exploited so so that's yeah, like that reminds me of the solar winds attack yeah exactly. like uh, poisoning the build um, yeah it's suddenly yeah yeah so that that'll also be a Pretty interesting aspect, right? And having a framework uh, to come out in the future would be really helpful in regards to that. So you have both um, an aspect of you uh, looking into both the external side of things and also the internal side of things and how you can manage both in a secure way. Um, yeah, I think to finish it off, I'll be going over some predictions, right? Uh, I have some spicy ones for this. 
Sure, let's, yeah. let's hear. Yeah, I think I think um, it, it, it to start off with, I feel like just in general, there's just going to be way more tools and frameworks. Um, as any new startup, you know, any new buzzword starts to come, there'll be yeah. more tools. And, and that shows uh, we had a gap, right? Yeah, we, have, we definitely, yeah, we had, definitely a had a gap. And people are like, yeah, I can come here and solve this problem, which is good. Uh, that'll push the industry forward in resolving this issue for sure or making it in a more making us more secure basically and preventing some common pitfalls that can happen um, and then right I think a big tool that surely will start to pop up in a much wider fashion if it has already not is like asset discovery because finding all the packages in all your environments is going to be a pain like there's no there's no easy way to do it if you're doing it manually and if you had to do it like for thousands of environments that's going to be hell you know it just, yeah. right you surely want to look at something automated for doing a job of that scale and finding a good asset discovery tool might be hard if you're using like multiple languages stuff so for sure if something in the future pops up where you can like find asset discovery across multiple environments multiple languages if it's not already there um sorry if i if i missed some tool that's already there no all good all good i'm just gonna add on to that that on top of asset discovery Mm -hmm. i think the area we want to be targeting is that software composition analysis that what is that software made of right so it's Mm -hmm. not just the direct dependencies that transitive dependencies like dependencies of dependencies to that layer those kind of software composition analysis is becoming really popular Mm -hmm. Uh, we do have a quite a few big companies Um, i'm not gonna mention any vendors uh, but we see a lot of big uh, big players and big demand. Yeah. Like a lot of very new hot security startups <laughs> are in that field. So definitely that's that's something going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, the other point I had was like automating testing in packages. Uh, Kev, do you have any points of this? Like I knew this is surely going to be a, a point that's already been done. Like people already automate certain amounts of security tests Mm -hmm. within their packages when they build but how do you involve the aspect of a supply chain in that interesting so is is that your prediction like you'll see more? yeah i'm predicting yeah predicting straight up more automated tests there's no there's no way it's physically going to be possible to review all the packages that are coming internally and also these internal packages if linking to your previous point can use external packages which then have dependencies within it right yeah yeah so again it goes back to that software composition analysis tools and a lot of those do uh, do that like in atlassian we have uh, atlassian wide a tool running that goes through like the dependencies and how these kind of automated packages work is work is uh, these packages um, we generate a signature for uh, the packages and pretty much look for whether the package integrity is is okay and as well as look for vulnerable versions across repositories. I think this automation, it's going to be somewhat delegated to Mm -hmm. third parties and companies. So that's where a lot of this automation is going to come in because it's very hard. It's like a threat intel business, right? So you want to know which package is vulnerable, which versions of which packages are vulnerable. And that's what we're seeing a lot as well. So we have tons of tools Mm -hmm. and companies that are offering these services. Yeah. Um, on top of that, like uh, initiatives like the Six Store of OpenSSF, um, that's actually very interesting. So that 
that looks into the integrity aspect of these packages and third-party libraries. So it takes the concept of certificate, certificates and signing of those certificates and pretty much implements them on that package level. Yeah. So that's those are some of the ways people are sort of automating the testing of packages. If uh, Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. That, that answers my question and even goes into the next point I was having on like, linking packages because sometimes as you said integrity between packages can be lost uh, mm -hmm. like between the package that's deployed in the environment and the actual source code uh, of the repo so mm -hmm. uh, having a link via like six store and stuff would be really helpful and i've seen like recently an rfc posted by npm in regards to that uh, and yeah people are surely looking forward and moving yeah. ahead into that direction Cool. Uh, I think most of my predictions kind of overlap with you. The one thing I will add is going forward, uh, we will definitely see more caution when it comes to using soft open source software. So it will be very interesting to see, knowing the fact that software, open source software has high risk at times, but at the same time, high demand. So yeah. when what, what do you do in that high risk but high demand kind of instances, yeah. right? So that's something I do want to think a bit more on going forward in the future and see what goes on to yeah. the industry. Yeah, that surely is going to be very interesting for sure yeah. in the future. Cool. Surya, uh, that was really fun. Looking at the time, it's, uh, we are really close to wrapping it up. So yeah, another very insightful episode. And thank you as always for um, all your knowledge and insights. That was, that was very fun. And thanks to our audience for uh, listening to us. We would very much like to hear from you on what you think is making the software supply chain so vulnerable. What, uh, what point that we have mentioned resonates with you the most? And if we have missed a point that you really wanted to talk about that makes the security of supply chain so critical, uh, please feel free to let, let us know in terms of comments or any way possible. Yeah. Well, well, thanks again. And we hope to see you in the next episode. Bye, guys.